this week. I've just been reading and this chapter sort of stuck out where the Holy Spirit sort of illuminated and said, that's it. And I said, no, please, no, please. But he said he wouldn't let me get away from it. So we're going to dig into that. A lot of it's going to be familiar if you're around the church, if you've grown up in the church. And that was maybe one reason I was wanting to find something a little more obscure. But uh, the Lord really highlighted this, and as I studied it, and as I really was able to dig into it, I, I feel like the Lord has something He wants to remind us of today. A lot of times we sort of get away from basic things because we kind of feel like we've completed that level, but when we really dig in and look at it and examine it closely, there's still things that all of us, even who've been in the faith for a long time, still need to grow and develop in. Amen? So I want us to sort of dig through this, and um, I believe I have enough time. We're going to try to go through the chapter uh, but this is, uh, the book of Romans is where we get really the bulk of our theology really is laid out in Romans. Up until this point, again, if you read the first 11 chapters, I gave homework last week and had somebody came and said, hey, I did my homework and I was pretty excited. That's better than usually my classroom, so that's good. But uh, in any case, um, I'm not going to tell you to go read the 11 chapters for homework that's, or anything like that. But basically to this point, Paul's been kind of going through and giving all of the theological reasons why we believe in Jesus, going back and sort of explaining uh, the reason Jesus came, why it was important for him to live, to die, uh, to, to be buried and to be rose again, and, and basically going through the theology of the fact that we've all sinned and we've all come short of the glory of God and the wages of sin or death, but because of the Lord Jesus Christ and His resurrection, we can be saved. All of those things have been established to this point. And so a lot of it's a little bit more practical, or, or a little bit more, I should say, spiritual, a lot of theological stuff, a lot of uh, theory and philosophy type things, if you understand what I'm saying. But now we get to Romans 12, and Paul is really getting down to what I call the nitty-gritty, or in other words, kind of what I like. He's starting to get practical. That means that we're going beyond just the philosophy and all the thought. Now I'm going to tell you point blank what it is that you need to be doing as a Christian and what it means to, to live as a Christian. So as we go through this chapter today, some of it's going to be blunt. And I'll be quite honest with you because I know it did to me this week. Some of it may spiritually punch you in the nose today, okay? It's not PB doing that, okay? Can we establish that right now? PB, I'm... I'm I promise you, I'm, I, I was taking a beating all week, so I promise nothing that's going to be uh, coming forth today is coming from some sort of high pedestal where I'm trying to hammer it to you. This is just the Word doing what the Word does, okay? So let's start with verse 1. Paul begins to write this. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now I guarantee you, and I'm looking around the room, I don't know everyone, but I'm, I'm looking around the room and a lot of you I know, you're, you're regulars here, you, this scripture you probably could have quoted back to me very easily, right? We all hear that, but have you really, really, really broken down what this verse is telling us to do? First of all, Paul's saying, I beseech you, if you really dig into it, that word beseech comes from a Greek word, parakaleo. Now you're thinking, what does that have to do with anything? I think it's interesting, the word means to urge. It's the same root word in Greek that we get the word paraclete, which became the word that means the Holy Spirit, the helper, the one who urges us into action. So this is more than just Paul saying, I really wish you would do this. Y'all understand? I would suggest you may want to do this. Kind of like a very just with no power there. You know, take it or leave it type of thing. No, Paul's saying, listen, I'm beseeching you. I'm urging you from a power, from a part of all of this I've talked about in this whole book. 11 chapters worth. Now I'm at this point and I'm telling you, you really need to do this. I'm urging you that you need to, brothers, by the mercies of God. It's nothing you can do within yourself. How many of you are thankful for the grace of God? We can't do any of these things on our own. We're imperfect, sinful flesh. But thank God He gave us that power, that paraclete, that the Holy Spirit that comes and lives on the inside of us. And because of those mercies, we are able to present our bodies as living sacrifices. So what He's saying at this point is now, we, up until this point in history... As again, we know, but let me remind you, 
When someone needed to be atoned, when someone needed to come to God, when someone had sin that needed to be confessed or prayers that needed to be given, they had to bring an offering, a physical offering, an animal or something that had to be slain and killed on an altar. And from this point forward, animal sacrifices aren't required. Paul's saying you don't have to even continue doing that. God isn't interested in your, your, your spotless lamb. The spotless lamb of all time has already been slain on the cross. So now what I want, I don't want your stuff. I want you. I want you. I want you to bring yourself to me. You are now holy the Lord's. As I talked last week, once that veil was rent... When Jesus said it was finished, that meant from that point forward, once his resurrection made everything whole, we can go boldly before the throne of grace and we can present ourselves to them. But notice he says we're presenting our bodies. Our bodies. That means everything that's within us. If you go through the the Bible, especially the New Testament where Paul is doing all of his talking in here, and you can also look in 1 Corinthians, which I'll reference in a moment. Paul, a lot of times, talked to us about our bodies. See, this is the point where I got punched in the nose this week. I'm going to be real honest. It's, it's, it's all the things that we're supposed to do with our body. We think everything, we, we, it's very easy for us, especially in kind of our, our, our realm, our movement, you know, more of a spirit-filled movement. We, we like to spiritualize everything, and, and, and that rightfully so. So we think, well, it's just presenting our bodies. It's just spirit. It's just spirit. But no, there's actually a practical, physical component that I believe the Lord is telling us. Our body needs to be yielded to God. Obviously, the reason why we're in the world and in a society today that will stand up on um, the, the nearest mountaintop and say, my body, my choice, right? Yet God says, yield your body to me. That's the reason we here in the church, we're not standing up and saying that abortion is okay. We know that it's not lawful. It's not of God, Amen. Because our bodies are not our choices. They weren't given to us just for our own pleasure. They were given for the glory of God. So then it has to become a living sacrifice. I think that's powerful, a living sacrifice. We think, well, okay, so no longer animals and we give ourselves as God. But it means it's living right there. It tells me that there's action. There's, it's active. Am I making sense so far this morning? It's not a living sacrifice where I can go one time, give myself to God, and then just go about doing everything that I want to do and just live like I did before. If I'm a living sacrifice, that living, that verb tense there, forgive me for going there, but it's a, it's a progressive tense, which means it's continuing to happen. Not only did I sacrifice my, my body to God when I got saved and I, I prayed the prayer and I, and I confessed Him as my Savior, it wasn't just when I was dunked in water and made that confession public. It didn't end right there and now I'm just kind of cruising until I die and I'll reap the fruit of that one decision. Being that it's a living sacrifice, every single day I wake up, I have to die to sin and allow the Lord to live and move in my life. I continuously, daily have to find things in my life that God doesn't want in my life and I have to give them away. Is anybody listening today? All right. But not only does it have to be living, this is powerful. It says it has to be holy and acceptable. Holy. Something that's without blemish, without spot. Now, we can't, again, do that ourselves. but thank God Jesus said when he went and he ascended into heaven, he said, I'm going to send you a comforter, I'm going to send you a helper. With the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the power that we need to overcome temptation, to overcome the world, to overcome the devil. And for that reason, we can become holy. That is God's standard for living. We were created to live holy. So he's not saying just do whatever you want to and God will make the rest. Well, I'm thankful for God's grace in my life, but God's grace isn't just an excuse for me to do what I want to do. It needs to be acceptable to God. And because of that, and this is where it gets difficult, we must refuse to defile our bodies. 
We must refuse to defile our bodies. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Again, very familiar, but Paul wrote to the Corinthians, do you not know that your body is what? The temple of the Holy Spirit. And that the Spirit of God dwells in you. And if anyone defiles the temple of God, then God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple again you are. Pay attention here. Again, let me teach you this morning. Defile. Again, it's a Greek word, thero. And if you look at the translation of that word, thero, it means to ruin, to spoil, to corrupt, to waste. Imagine this, okay? Imagine you built your dream home. It looked beautiful. It was, it was perfectly set up. It had everything that you wanted. But instead of moving into that dream home, you just let it sit there for like 20 years. No repairs, no termite you know, spray around. How sad would that be to see that house defiled, ruined, wasted? That's what the Bible is saying about our bodies. And again, I'm, I'm not getting religious today, I promise you. I know that's, that's one thing that when we start to hear some of these things, they start poking at us. Well, I'm not religious. I don't, and, and I agree with that. We're under grace and not under law. But at the same time, I believe that God wants us to take care of ourselves because if we're going to be living sacrifices meant to be His example, to be His hands and feet in our world, yet we can't take care of what He gave us in our body how are we going to be able to fulfill our calling? Is this okay? What does it mean? So, so I know when I was growing up, this was the number one scripture that was always quoted when we talk about those smokers and those drinkers. Can't defile your body. And listen, I know I'm saying that, so I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get in your business and point, but it, I mean, it's still pretty much true. But the one thing when I was growing up is we'd talk a lot about the smokers and the drinkers while we would leave every service and go eat like hordes of fried food for every meal. <laughs> and I started thinking one day, you know, that's probably not good either. That's a defilement of our temple. Now listen, some of y'all are really starting to think, man, I didn't come to hear, P I really came to hear Pastor Lot anyway, but I really didn't come to hear PB start talking to me about my diet. We're starting to meddle now. And I told you, I got punched in the nose myself this week. I think it's important for us to understand that God does expect us not to defile our temple, whether it's with the things that we're intaking, whether it's some sort of addictive substance or things that we know are harmful. I mean, if there's study after study after study that says if you do this, it's going to be harmful to you, it's probably not the best idea to do it. You know if you eat that diet, you're going to live to the ripe old age of 42. It's probably not the best thing to do. Listen, our bodies and our flesh, you know, they're, it's imperfect. We're all going to meet our maker, amen? We weren't created to live forever, and I, I do understand that. I want to make sure that's clear. And I'm not saying we have to just be overly, just become obsessed with it. That can be just as wrong. But there comes a point where we need to think about the temple that God's given us. I kind of wonder sometimes... How many people may have been limited and, and didn't reach their full potential that God had for them because they simply defiled their temple and it allowed themselves to be limited? I mean, it hits me all the time when I, 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 certain different things happen. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm hitting my mid-30s, maybe getting near that mid-life time, and it, so I start thinking about things a little bit more. I mean, you, I, don't, I, don't go, I only go to the doctor when I literally have to, okay? I'm that person. You know, what my, my diet, I don't spend a whole lot of extra time. I use the excuse like everybody else. Man, I'm busy. I don't think too much about all those things. But when I look at my kids and I see, you know, my, my nine-year-old and my five-year-old, and I start to think, you know, am I putting myself in the best situation to be where I need to be for them 20 years from now? Again, I know you're thinking, man, this isn't super spiritual, but I, th I think it really is. I think it's important for us to understand that we can't devile our body. And it goes beyond just, you know, what we eat and making sure we're not smoking anything or drinking anything or popping anything that isn't, isn't good as far as pills. But, I mean, also Paul would talk a lot about the morality that we do with our bodies. That's why the Bible talks so much about keeping ourselves pure. Not engaging in things outside of wedlock. 
That's the reason why it's, it's defiling to the body and why we still, as much as it's unpopular in today's age, it's still truth to know that a man was designed to be with a woman and a woman with a man. Why? Because it's the temple of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't designed to be defiled. Amen? Don't defile the temple. Don't spoil or ruin or waste those things that God has given us. And make sure it is the temple of the Holy Spirit. There's plenty of people who take care of their temple. Man, they work out, they, they, they eat right, they, they build their muscles, they have everything toned and it looks good, but you sometimes wonder, I don't know if the Holy Spirit's dwelling in those temples because they like to show it off to everybody. They're using it to build their kingdom and they're trying to gain all of the ladies or all the men that they can. That's defiling the temple also. Understand what he says though. We need to make sure our bodies are a living sacrifice. We need to make sure it's holy and acceptable. And we need to understand that it calls this what? A reasonable service. Reasonable. Some of you, when, we, when you start really thinking about that, God, you sure? This doesn't, this doesn't make sense. I don't think surely you wouldn't want us to live this way. But no, he calls it what? Reasonable. And if you really dig in, another reason he's calling it reasonable is because... People who worship God, the people he's talking to are people who worship God with their mind and their soul and their spirit. Their heart, their mind, and their soul all go after God. Those people who forsook truth in those days begin to worship idols. Now, I could go through a whole list of things I want, but you know that God said no other God should be before me, right? Anything on this earth that takes the attention away from God is an idol in our life. So it's important for us to understand that when we are able to allow our minds to, to become like Him, when we're able to, to make our bodies His temple, we're going to worship Him in spirit and truth, and we're not going to be tempted to go looking after things that are false. Amen? Look at verse 2. Again, we, we probably can quote this one verbatim. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that which is good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. Let's break this one down. Conformed. What does it mean to conform? Conform literally means to use or follow something else as an example. So he's telling them, don't be conformed. Don't look to the world, this age, and this time as your, your example. Now, sure, he was talking to the people in Rome who were worshiping Greek gods. So I guess, you know, don't be following after Zeus and Apollo and all those people. And if I got up here and preached to you guys and say, y'all don't go home and worship Zeus, some of y'all would think, man, you're crazy. You don't watch too much Hercules or something. That, and nobody in here worshiping Zeus. But we still live in a day and an age where the culture is telling you, you must conform to the way we see things. You preachers out there that are preaching what the Bible says about sexual immorality and telling people that it has to be this way, you people out there who are speaking truth and are refusing to get a part, become a part of our agendas, you're, you're preaching that everybody can get along and you're refusing to say that these people are victims, guess what? We'll cancel you. We'll take you out. We'll shut your voice down. So I believe what Paul is saying right here can absolutely be said to the church today where compromise seems to be growing, where there becomes the mindset, if I don't compromise the truth, if I don't, if I don't figure out a way to fit into this society, then they may cancel me. But I'm here to tell you, do not be conformed to this world. It doesn't matter to me how great the mob gets. And I'm not saying be rebellious and be, you know, things like that. Paul talks about that too. But there comes a point where we have to decide, are we going to allow culture to dictate what we consider truth and what we preach, or are we going to consider and continue to stand on the infallible Word of God? And I'm here to tell you this morning, it doesn't matter how loud those voices get, I'm still going to listen to the voice of truth and proclaim that to the dark world. Don't be conformed to what the world says you must do and you must believe and you must think. But be what? 
transformed. That's a supernatural change that comes when the Holy Spirit comes in our lives. It's not something that can just simply be done naturally. It can't just simply come through logic and through debate. Those things are good. It's good for us to to go through apologetics to know what we believe, to be able to explain the Scripture. I am 100% for all of those things. But let's understand, one reason the church may be losing cultural battles is because we're trying to fight culture with a lot of reason and logic, thinking that we can use that to defeat the enemy when what it takes is a supernatural encounter with the power of God. When we begin to stop looking at just what we can do and with our own abilities and with our own human strengths and begin to look and lean on that paraclete again, that comforter, that power that we have on the inside of us, then we can see change and transformation happen in our culture. Amen? It's supernatural. It goes beyond what we can explain. So Paul is saying, first of all, you need to make sure that your bodies are living sacrifices, that you're taking care of yourself, that you're making sure everything is good there. Then you need to make sure that the Holy Spirit, you're allowing the Holy Spirit to come in and transform your mind, that you're not denying or quenching the Holy Spirit so you can look relevant and be popular in a culture that is not of God. Then he goes to verse 3, and he begins to show us exactly how this should look. You ready? So he says this, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. I told you, hopefully there's none of you in here. This can punch you in the nose right here. Don't think too highly of yourself than you ought to think. Listen, again, we're in a culture and an empowerment, and I understand the root of a lot of it. I'm, listen, I, I don't want people to go, people shouldn't go around feeling, you know, low and beating themselves up, and low self-esteem is an issue we talk about all the time, kids and, and youth going through depression and all these things. But a lot of that's because we're, we're saying that the answer to all of that is just becoming popular, Putting yourself out there, seeing how many likes you can get. Can you go viral? Can you have all these people? Can you become an influencer? And as we've said often from this stage, as pastors preach many times eloquently, the problem is is that's not where our identity comes from anyway. And so when we begin to search and seek and get identity from outside sources that are not our Father, we're going to end up in a place that's hurt. And so when we do start getting in those seasons where people are patting us on the back and people are clapping their hands and giving us applause and we're getting all the likes and shares and follows and everything seems to be going good, it's easy for us to begin to think too highly of ourselves. Instead of, I give God all glory and honor for what's happening, we start to talk a little bit more and say more things like, man, yeah, I just, I'm just good. I just, I, man, I'm so talented. I just, I know I'm good at this and I'm using this talent and yeah. Or maybe we get into situations where it's a little bit more practical. Maybe it happens in your family. Here's what I want to warn you about. Do not allow the grace of God We just sang about the blessings of God. Do not allow the grace of God and His blessings that are evident in your life to go to your head to the point where you think you're responsible for them more than God is. What happens is is we can get too far into the grace and blessings of God, and I'm thankful for them. They're evident in my life too. I can't stop boasting of the goodness of God. But do understand, God's goodness in my life doesn't make me any better than anyone that's in this room. The blessings he's bestowed on me and that he's given to me, they're for you as well. You can have them too. Amen? I mean, that's that's one place today where you should get excited. I'm telling you, the blessings of God and the grace and the favor that's on my life, it's for you too. God's no respecter of persons. And so what happens is sometimes we allow situations to begin to get into our mind and we start to think we're a little bit more important than we are and it begins to wreak havoc in our lives. What does it look like? Well, it can be happening in your family. Again, I know, you know, I'm the man of my house. The Lord, the Bible does clearly say I'm the the head of my household, right? (laughs) Surely that can't go to my head ever, right? Surely I would never walk in my house and say, woman, you're going to listen to me and we're going to do this. Leave me alone. 
Yeah, you know how well that went. I got too highly of myself. Yeah, I'm the leader of my household, but if I go in and try to dictate, it's going to be miserable for everybody. Amen? Can I get a witness? Sometimes it may be hap- happened in your extended family. Maybe, you know, I'm the one who took care of grandma and nobody else gave me any help, so I'm just going to, I'm going to lord over everybody else. That's not the way of God. You go to your job and you begin to really... Think highly of yourself, man. I don't, get, I don't get the attention I deserve. You need me more than I need this job. That's an attitude pretty prevalent today. You allow yourself to think yourself so, so important, so no longer are you looking to contribute and be the best servant that you could be and do what God's called you to be. You're just looking to try to build your kingdom and the Lord, your influence around to get your way. But I'm probably not talking to anybody who's ever thought that, right? But surely the goodness, that can't happen in the church, can it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've been a tithe-paying member there for this long. Yeah, yeah. If I don't like something and I say something, it's going to change. Listen, I'm not saying those things are happening here. I'm just giving you some examples. When we really get stuck in ourselves, as Paul is saying, it becomes a detriment to the relationships in our lives. It can cause division in your family. It can cause division in your workplace. It can cause division within a kingdom of God, within the body of Christ, when people think that their gifts and their talents and their contributions are more important than other people. So that's why he goes into verse 4. We have many members in what? One body. Everybody say one. Now, do we all have the same function? No. We all do not have the same function. But we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then, in verse 6, gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. So let us what? Come on, say it. Let us what? I'm, we're going to do it one more time because I want everybody in this building, you're going you're to say this. Let us I don't know if this is grammatically correct or not, but I wrote it down and I'm going to say it. I don't know why it jumped off the page, but here's something you need to hear. No one was called to do nothing. No one was called to do nothing. You may be sitting here and saying, well, I just don't know. I just can't really do anything. No one was called to do nothing. Paul's going to begin to go through in just a moment. We're going to look at them, all these different gifts. And you may say, well, none of that sounds like me. Well, the thing is, is God has instilled in all of us the ability to do something. All of us have the ability to do something. Notice what he says. Let's go through that, and then I'll I'll continue to to exhort there. Look at the next verse. So verse 6 Having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given us, let us use them. So if you're, you have the gift of prophecy, then what do you need to do? Prophesy. If the Lord is sharing and giving you words, you need to speak those words. If you are, you have the ability to encourage people. I know some people, I, I, I joke around, maybe I shouldn't joke around so much. I joke around my wife. My wife doesn't have the gift of encouragement because she just tells me bluntly everything I need to hear. And it just like, but some people just have the gift and the ability to, to man, like after this sermon, this may be the most mediocre sermon you've ever heard. And there will be people who will come to me that just have the gift of encouragement. And I'll feel like Billy Graham after today. I'll just be sitting there like, yes, yes, it was good. I'm kidding, that wasn't any kind of knack for someone to come give encouragement. I'm just saying, some people have that gift. You just spend time with them and you just feel like, man, my heart is just, man. If you have that gift, you need to use it in proportion to your faith. And then notice what he says in the next verse. If you have the gift of ministry, let us use it in our ministering. What does he mean by ministry? It's not necessarily standing on this stage and preaching as I'm doing now when He says ministering, and you go and you study. He's talking about people who are able to to manage and administrate and people who are able to to sort of lead and help people find what they need to be doing. You may say public speaking isn't my thing. That's great. If it is your thing, you need to use it. But just because public speaking isn't your thing doesn't mean that there's not a place for you to use what gifts you have. 
He who teaches. Man, if you just know how to do things and you have a good way to show people how to do it, then what do you need to do? Teach. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives. Give liberally. That's pretty good. If the Lord has blessed you, and it, I, I, I sort of joke around, I don't want to be too, but I mean, it doesn't take a lot of talent to write a check. Okay, maybe in 2021, it takes a little bit of talent. Some of y'all probably don't know. But it definitely don't take talent to swipe a credit card, right? It probably took talent for you to make the decisions and to work and to, and to get to the place where you could do that. No doubt, I'm not... What I'm saying is if God's blessed you, then use it. Give it liberally. He who leads, lead with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. In other words, whatever it is that God has gifted and entrusted you with, use it. No one was called to do nothing. Where do you use your gifts? Well, hopefully you're using it in your everyday life. And I hope that you're using it here in all seasons, not because we're selfish, but if you're a part of our body, we would love for you to help us continue to grow and to minister. What kind of gifts do you have? Well, you say, man, I'm not gifted to teach. Well, if you are gifted to teach, I can tell you right now, standing here today, I need people that can teach three to five-year-olds on Sundays and Wednesdays. If you're gifted in that, talk to me today. I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you now. I'm proclaiming that in faith. Some of you said, that's not my calling. Well, let me make sure this is clear too. Sometimes we confuse calling with what we like to do. Okay, I I shouldn't go here, but I'm going to. Sometimes we think that, well, I'm called to this, and we think if we ever have to do anything we don't like or it isn't pleasant, that's just not my calling. No, sometimes God will uh, require you to test your faith by letting you do some things you may not like, but are you faithful to do them? Is that okay? I hope I didn't cross the line there. Listen, I started my ministry in children's ministry. I can tell you straight up right here, right now, kids' ministry is not necessarily my calling. It's not my favorite thing to do. I love my kids, but I mean, I just, they spent two weeks with my parents and I was thrilled, you know? I'm just telling you, kids at that age are just, you know, I love them. But guess what? The first real opportunity for ministry once I went through my ministry training, where was it? It was in kids' ministry. I'm not sitting there telling you we hated it, and I was like, oh, God, please, for delivery. No, it wasn't like that. You know what I said? I said, God, I'm going to jump into this. I'm going to move into this. I'm going to do kids' ministry to the best of my ability because this is apparently what you want me to do. I won't go through the whole story, but long story short, the Lord opened up a door after about a year of being faithful to what he allowed me to do. He opened the door and let me step into what it was I wanted to do, what I felt called to do. Is anybody listening to me? Maybe there's a door that you've been banging on for a long time, and maybe it just takes you volunteer and say, God, if you'll open that, I'll be willing to help in a three- to five-year-old class. Some of y'all getting crazy. Y'all thinking, this, is, this sounds too extreme. Some of you are saying, you know what, I'm not gifted to teach. That's fine. I really need people right now that can also volunteer in that class, and all you have to do is walk them back and forth to the bathroom. Whatever spiritual gift you want to place that under, it's there somewhere. And I'm not just harping on it because we do need volunteers. There's areas all over this place. Though. There's areas in your life that you can step into and that you can move into the ministry. What God doesn't want is for you to continue to sit on the sidelines while there's real-life ministry that he's wanting to do through you is happening. Amen? But here's the other thing I will make sure. This is the other caveat. Do what you were called to do. Don't do what I'm called to do. And my job is not to do what you are called to do, okay? I found this quote. I shared it on social media a couple weeks ago. It's one of the best ones I've heard. It's by a guy named Paul Scanlon. I'm going to be honest. He's like a motivational speaker. I don't know his theology. Don't take me quoting him (laughs) this one time as some sort of, you know, uh, recommendation. I I don't know. He may be fine, but he did say this quote. It says, it's not everyone's job to understand your calling because it wasn't a conference call. In other words... What God's called me to do, as I kind of talked about last week, it's going to look different to a lot of people. But it's okay. It wasn't what they were called to do. It was what I was called to do. And some of the things that you may be doing in your life, I may look at it sometimes and and I may say, 
that's weird. I don't, I don't get why you do that. But it's fine. It's not my job to get it if you're doing what God and you know that God has called you to do. Amen? So make sure you understand that everybody's doing their part, but you're doing something. Then he moves into this last part, and we'll roll through this one very quickly. I, I, there's a lot of point you could really do weeks and weeks on this, but from this point, Paul gets really practical, and for the rest of the chapter, he's going to begin to lay out quickly the things that we should be doing. We should be presenting ourselves a sacrifice. We should get ourselves to work. And then we're supposed to behave like Christians. What does that look like? Well, he says in verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Let your love be real. Everybody say, be real. If there's anything this generation can do is they can spot fakes from a mile away. Amen? You can claim, you can put on the sort of facade, you can go pat everybody on the back, oh, how you doing? And everybody knows that you're insincere about it. Be sincere. Love people without hypocrisy. Don't claim that you love someone and you're kind of, when you're around them, you're hugging all over them and you're kind of flattering them and knowing that when you get home or you're talking to somebody or you're getting on social media, you're about to blast them. In, in other words, don't come up to PB at the end of the sermon. PB, that was just so good. We just love you. Knowing you're going to go home and say, Shh, when's Pastor getting back? That was the worst thing I ever heard. It's okay. You just be truthful and say, well, be glad when people, it's okay. You don't have to say anything. Just don't be a hypocrite. Be genuine. Amen? Abhor what is evil and cling to what's good. Look at the next verse. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. So yeah, it is important for you to hug people who are brethren in the Christ, to shake hands, to encourage, to greet, to show kindness to people, and to be affectionate towards people, giving preference to one another. Again, in our selfish society where we want to, to get the seat, we want to, as Jesus taught when the disciples, hey, we want to be at your right and left, left and right hand, and God said, hey... The first will be last. The last will be first. If you, if you really want to be at my right hand, then you need to humble yourself and serve. How many times are we looking to, to find some sort of gain within ourselves instead of honoring other people? Verse 11, not lagging in diligence. You know what that means? Don't be lazy. Be about the Father's business. As Jesus said when he was young and he, his parents were looking for him, he said, hey, I had to be about my father's business. Y'all can go do all this joy riding, all this stuff all you want to, but I have stuff to do. That's the way we should be in the kingdom of God. Even while we're waiting, we all go through seasons. I've preached on it, pastors preach. We all go through seasons where we, we're, we're kind of in between. We feel like we're waiting on something. We're waiting for the door to open or the shoe to drop. But that doesn't mean that we have a, right to stop working be fervent in spirit serving the lord rejoicing verse next verse verse 12 rejoicing in hope and this is if i had time we would dig into this but rejoicing where do we find our joy again the problem we have is, as christians in, in today's world is we try to find our joy in our circumstances in other words, we think our joy comes from something that will happen to us or something we do that makes us feel the happy emotion. Maybe as simple as, I don't feel so good. Oh, there's some ice cream. This ice cream will make me feel good. And it might for a little bit, but does that mean I take my joy in ice cream? Then I have to preach to myself about defiling the body, Amen may make us feel good for a little bit, but some of you, that, that we, that's why people end up hooked on things. They thought that one party was going to give them joy when really it may have given them a temporary moment of happiness, but they're still not joyful. For this reason, when I rejoice in hope, it doesn't matter what I'm going through. It may seem like hell itself has arisen and is coming after me. I may feel like I'm being attacked from the front. I'm being attacked from behind, and there's people coming to the side. It may feel like that my whole world is about to collapse, 
But even in those moments when I may be facing the strongest trouble I've ever seen, I can be joyful, I can smile, and I can say my faith is in God. Why? Because I'm rejoicing in the hope I have. That's good preaching. Patient in tribulation. When we're going through hard times, it's very easy for us to want to act quickly. You know... You ever heard this cliche? I've heard it several times, but never make permanent decisions based on a temporary situation. Never make a permanent decision based on a temporary situation. Well, things aren't going well right now, so I'm going to make a permanent decision to quit. I'm, and we do damage to ourselves, and what does that lead to? Regrets. But we weren't made to live in regret. You can read Romans 8 and hear Paul talk about that. We're, we're not meant to live in regret. There's therefore no more condemnation. We're meant to live in hope. So if you'll be patient in tribulation, you may be going through a battle, but there's a blessing on its way. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. Talked about that last Sunday. Pray continuously. That helps us not lose heart. Verse 13, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. We are asked, Christians should be willing to help distribute to those who are in need. Not just financially, though that is a part of it. It's giving of your time and giving encouragement. And it leads us to Romans 12, 14. Bless those who persecute you. And it says it again. He makes sure to reiterate. Bless them. Do not what? Curse them. And we're saying cursing, uh, it, it's... It could mean that way, but we're not necessarily talking about that list of four-letter words that we know we're not supposed to say. How many times when we have somebody who's mistreating us and we just, again, we get kind of in those venting modes and we're just giving them the what for? Well, they're just sorry. They're no good for nothing. They just, they're hating. They wish they had what they had. They're never going to be anything. They're not going to be anything. They're, they're going to fail. It's going to fall. How many of you have said things like that? To be honest, you have to raise your hand, but you can just think to yourself, we say things like that, and we think we're vindicating ourselves. We're trying to make ourselves feel good. But really, us cursing them, even though we, can, we kind of spiritualize it too. Well, I'm just prophesying. I mean, I'm just seeing their future. If they don't change, that's what's going to happen. But the things we say can bring curses on them. And God says, if you really want to see your enemies changed, bless them. That means you don't speak negative on them at all. It means you speak blessing over them. I pray that they are going to be blessed and it's going to give them the joy. They're going to find the joy that they need, that the Lord is going to bless them and take them where they need to be. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Show compassion, show feeling. How many times have you seen that person you know that got the news that you thought you were going to get? It was just so hard. Oh, that person got the promotion. That man, the Lord just gave him a financial blessing on the man. They tried to open that business, and it just it, it exploded. That person, man, they they just got married and very quickly had a kid. And there's that person that, man, I've been praying to have kids forever. Why? And what happens? We get in those situations where. Instead of rejoicing when other thing, people are going through good things, we, in our mind, we just unfollow or hide or just avoid the conversation, right? I'm being real. I'm, I've been there. But a true Christian, a true person of Christ isn't going to look through everything. through. It's, it's not about us. If, if God is blessing you, then I need to rejoice in what God is doing for you. Amen? If you're weeping, if you're crying, it's not the time for me to come and say, well, that's okay, let me brag on what happened to me. No, I need to weep and show compassion for you. And notice the next verse, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Again, so many in our society today and I know we blame so much on social media, but I really feel like it's just added a fuel to it. It's not a new attitude, but it has added fuel to it. Never before have, have people, I've said this a lot, never more have people felt the importance of their own voice. We think that everybody just needs to know and hear what we think, right? 
And what happens is, as he says, we become wise in our own opinion. We only see things through our perspective and we fail to ever look at, I'm not talking about the truths that we know that are true. I talked about that a moment ago, but how many times have you been trying to work on something and it's two, just two different perspectives, two different opinions? It's not a black and white, right or wrong type of issue. It's just simply, there's two ways of seeing things. And because maybe the way that I saw things wasn't the way they went with, we just get mad, take our ball and go home. We get angry. We start looking for things to fail so that we can say, yeah, I tried to tell you, right? Paul's saying, we're not building my kingdom here. Paul said, I'm not building my kingdom. You're not building your kingdom. We here in all seasons, we're not building the kingdom of all seasons, so all seasons can be, we're building the kingdom of God. We want his kingdom to come and his will be done. Therefore, maybe somebody has opinion different than I do. Okay, as long as it isn't striking the, the truth, as long as we're not compromising things that we know are fundamentally truth, okay, if, if, if I don't get my way in every situation, it's okay because my way isn't what was important. Don't be wise in your own opinion. Don't get caught up so much in your own kingdom that you fail to see what God is trying to do. And then lastly, he finishes the chapter with this. Everybody say amen. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. The old cliche of two rights don't make a wrong. Have regard for good things. Verse 18, if it's possible, as much as depends on you, Live peaceably with all men. And I love that Paul added that. As much as depends on you. There is some truth to this. It doesn't matter. You can be the nicest person in the world. You may can get along with everybody that you're around, but every single one of us are going to find those some, there's just some people you're not going to mesh with. Amen? There's some people you could be as nice in the world to, and they're just going to have something wrong with you. They're just not going to like the way your face looks or something. So as much as you can, though, live peaceably with all men. You make sure that if there's conflict, it's not because of me. I'm not fueling the conflict. I've done everything I can to absolve it. It's on them. Then he says, beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. It is written, vengeance is mine and I'll repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if you... If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you're going to reap coals of fire on his head. We don't do that with the idea of, okay, yeah, I'm really going to get you. But if you, you do good, guess what? I was listening to a guy on a podcast I like to listen to that owns a mortgage company. And he was kind of talking about something. But he was, uh, he was sort of sharing in his mortgage company. He has this philosophy. He has a freezer and he keeps ice cream cones in his freezer. I was talking about ice cream earlier. I guess it's still in the mind. And he says that any time a mad customer comes in that's ready to just <laughs> let him have it, just irate, he immediately tells his assistant before he meets with them to go give him an ice cream cone. Insist. Even when they say, no, I don't want one. You make sure you don't leave until they eat an ice cream cone. Why? Because it's hard to be mad when you're eating ice cream. Guess what? You may have someone that hates you, but if you're reaping good and you're doing good to them, guess what? It's going to be very difficult for them to stay that way, and more than likely, that's when conviction's able to work on their end. Then he ends the chapter in verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. Do good. I know this was probably way more teaching than preaching this morning, but I think it's important for us to understand God wants us to give ourselves completely and totally to Him. That means within our physical bodies, but it also means with the gifts that He's given us in service and in our character and the way that we act when we're in this world. Will you stand with me this morning? If you'll just bow with me for a moment, here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to just allow Holy Spirit to begin speaking in your heart and your life right now. 
Again, some of this very practical, a lot of it's very familiar, but maybe something as we've been going through this today, the Holy Spirit's begin to illuminate some areas in your life. Maybe you're here like I was this week. Man, the Lord convicted me of, of being so preoccupied with the service and with the talents of the things I do, all the work I do, all the, all the things that I know I'm doing in the service of God, both in working and providing for my family and in serving in ministry, but Man, I've neglected the temple. I allow the busyness of some of the, the gifts and the talents that God's allowed me to use. I let that, I sometimes neglect taking care of the temple. Maybe you're here today. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, but maybe the Holy Spirit is reminding you and showing you some areas of what that looks like. I don't know what it could be. Maybe it's rest. Maybe it's just diet. Maybe, it, maybe you're just involved in some activities that you say, well, I can do, do what I want to, and the Lord is convicting you of that. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know, Pastor Bradley, I, I've gotten comfortable living my life and living for my convenience and taking care of my time so I could do what I want to, and maybe, maybe there's some things I could do in service, maybe here in this body, maybe just in my life, in the world, in the kingdom. There's things that I could be doing that I could be giving some of my time away and Holy Spirit's reminding you of that. Or maybe you're here and as we're going through that last section and there's some of these character traits that, man, Holy Spirit's really, really messing with my heart about. Maybe I've, I've been cursing my enemies and I've been speaking out and I've been wishing them wrath, but God, I need to begin to bless them. I need to open my mouth and, and bless my enemies. Maybe there's some things you've been compromising on. You haven't been abhorring evil, but you've allowed some compromise in your heart. Whatever it is, I prayed this morning, as I pray with you, that you allow the Holy Spirit to not only illuminate those things and reveal those things, but you will allow Him to touch those things and take them from you. Father, today, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your many blessings. Father, we thank you for your word today. Father, I pray that you'll help us all present ourselves as living sacrifices. Show us what it is that we can do and that we need to do. Father, to ensure that we are taking care of what you've entrusted us with. Father, help us not to defile our bodies, whether it's with things, food, drink, activity, any kind of immorality. Father, help us not to be conformed to this world and try to follow after the things of this world, but Father, let us be changed and to follow after your Spirit. Father, I pray, God, that you will reveal and show us again those things you've placed on the inside of us, those talents, those giftings, those areas of service. Father, if there's anybody in this room, God, that's, Father, not using the gifts you've given them, Father, remind them of those things today. Convict and purge, God. Lord, for anyone, God, that's struggled with loving their enemies and repaying evil with good, God, that you'll just reveal those areas. Father, if there are people we need to reconcile with, Father, help us not to curse those that are in our lives, but to bless them. Father, I pray that your hand be upon each one. Let your spirit, Father, we can't do any of this within our flesh, but Father, it is your spirit that gives us strength and gives us power. Father, we rely on that spirit and on that strength today. We give you all praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody in the place say, Amen.